So, I'm going to go on a little bit of a meander before I get to what, we're, what I'm going to talk about tonight. Um, because I want to share some things. I didn't share it at the earlier service because it, it, it felt like the Holy Spirit was brewing it, but it wasn't quite time to bring it. But now's the time to bring it. Hallelujah. Um, so, many years ago, when I uh, first got saved, I had... Uh, one of the first things that happened to me is my, my, my uh, reverend back then, because I got uh, saved into an Anglican church. I know it is possible. No, I got saved into an Anglican church. They were a great church. I really loved those guys. And, um, and I, I remember the part the vicar saying to me, Chris, you need to go home. Now you're a born-again Christian. And go read the book of Mark, because it's a nice, easy book. I thought, OK, then. So I went home and read the book of Romans instead, and because uh, it's just the kind of guy I am. And, uh, and when I read Romans, it, it seemed very clear to me that there was the church and there was Israel and God had a plan for Israel and God had a plan for the church. And then at the end of the age, it would all kind of come together in some kind of unique way. And so that was and that that came to me direct from the Holy Spirit. It was just it was something that God placed in me right from the moment I got saved. Yeah, so I had a I had a, a love for Israel right back in those days. And, um, you know, we know the scriptures that all Israel shall be saved and stuff. So and I know also from apocalyptic literature in the Old Testament that at the end of days, you know, they shall look upon him whom they pierced and stuff and they shall mourn and various other prophecies about Israel getting saved at that final hour. So I always had kind of like a heart for Israel. But in, in coming, if you, with the heart for Israel comes then the other side of it, doesn't it? It's the heart for God's law. And that was something that, that really burnt in me a lot as, as a young man. I remember when I went to uh, the, uh, a, com a community church, did a year of training out there at this, uh, this place. And um, I kind of banged, head with them quite, banged my head with them quite a lot because my understanding of Revelation was quite different from theirs. Not that I was saying I was right, but they were saying things like, well, you know, we're in the church age now and this is the golden age of the church. We're in the millennial reign now. And I was like... Uh, if this is the millennial reign and Satan's bound, I'd hate to see him when he's let loose because it's, you know, and I remember being almost set, well, I was almost set, well, I was, I was sent out of the room at that time. I was, like, I was like, I was like, but I don't agree with you. And he's like, Chris, shut up. I, no, shut up. Uh, 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 shut up, shut up. Uh, right, get out. So I had to go out. And, um, but it was all caught on tape, so it was quite funny. Um, and, and, but I also remember speaking to my lecturers and I said, you know, look, I know we're New Testament Christians and stuff, but there's still a lot that I don't understand why we're ignoring like a whole swathe of scripture from the Old Testament as though it was somehow relevant now, because I, I just can't see that it is irrelevant. And so I had a burning love for, for the law. I remember years ago when I was at work, before I got married, so it must have been 1920, 20, I used to work at the Buffers Party, that's in the military, and the Buffers Party, we put up all the big marquees and empty bins and all the glorious stuff like that. But um, all the guys used to have cigarette breaks, so I used to have a Bible break. So whenever, in, you know what, back in those days, people were smoking all the time. Like, oh, should we have another break, guys? Yeah, psh, out they go. So it was unfair because like, I would have to work while they had a cigarette. So I cottoned on. So, I, so I, they had their pack of cigarettes up here. I had a nice King Jimmy down here in my, in my pocket. And when it came to, oh, shit, I've done my shoelaces. Hang on a second. So uh, I would have a, when they had cigarette break, I'd have a Bible break. And I would always study 
you know, the Torah and things like that. So I had a a love for God's word back at an early age when I first became saved and always kind of wrestled with what that would look like and stuff. And then I wrote a book a while back called The The Biblical Importance of Israel and Everything Else That Goes Along With It, which was really, I guess, all of my years of study and everything. And, um, And then, so I remember thinking as a church leader what do I do with all this stuff and, and we, me and Tracy and the kids we went down to Devon and I, I prayed about it and I was quite surprised I got an answer that night in, in a dream so I prayed about it and I said Lord what, what do we you know what do we do with all this Torah stuff you know because like you know you can go any which way you want with this you can go like into complete hardcore or you can kind of be middle of the road or you can have none of it and in this dream there were these three camps and you had the hardcore guys, all two of them. <laughs> then you had over here, the guys that weren't interested in it at all, and there were thousands and thousands and thousands of them. And we were stood in the middle. And that was God's answer to me. Now what was surprising in this dream is that the people from that camp, the hundreds of thousands of them, they came up to me and they, they didn't realize they had these beautiful, precious gemstones, beautiful precious stones and they were just throwing them at me on the floor like oh you're an idiot you're an idiot going down that road we want to do that you're an idiot and they threw these didn't realize they're throwing their treasures at my feet thinking that they were meaningless and pointless and hey we don't need any of that nonsense and off they went and I just you know although they were saved they were clad in their armor of the saints of lights they were nevertheless in the dream it was quite clear that they were missing something quite important and they didn't realize what they were throwing away when they were mocking, mocking me and, and what, what I stood for and stuff. So there was that. And, the, and then the other night I had a dream and, uh, and it, it took me by surprise a bit because um, everybody started coming, well, this is not an advert, that suddenly the whole church in one day filled up with people. You're right there, looking a bit worried. Yeah, okay. These people, they came to church with one of these. Now, I know that people that read these generally are into that, you know, the kind of the Jewish side of things, because this, this sort of Bible brings out the Jewish. It's probably one of the best ones. There's the Howard Stern one, but I personally like this one. And I've had five of them, actually. I read them that much and destroy them because I just love them. Um, so, yeah, I've had five of them. This is my fifth one now. And everybody in the church, well, these were new people, had come in, and they all had one of these. And, uh, but obviously the dream is not telling me everyone's going to come to church with one of these. It's telling me what their heart was, that they had a love for Israel and they had a love for God's law and stuff. And how is that to work out in, in today's church? And uh, I remember Tracy then saying to me the next day, well, you better stop kicking them and giving them a hard time then. Uh, now, it's not that I kick people and give them a hard time. My problem is, is that I'm always, you know, being being pro the law and stuff, and, and, but, but with wisdom. What I don't like is the immaturity that we get with it. And you often get this probably when people are moving into these things. It's like, you know, they look at Christians and they go, you worship on a Sunday, you're a pagan. Um, you do this, you're a pagan. And, uh, and then the guys over here, they're having a go at those guys and those guys are having a go at here. And, and it's, just, it's just awful and it's immature. Because Paul says, doesn't he, in Romans 4, he said, Did you, were you justified by faith Sorry, was Abraham justified by faith before circumcision or after circumcision? Before. He says to the Galatians, you foolish Galatians, were, were, did you receive the, 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 the miracles of the Spirit 
before you observe feasts and festivals or after? Well, the answer is before. The point Paul is making is not that he's anti the law of God. What he's anti is that in those days, we don't really have this problem anymore, but in those days, the leading rabbinical teaching of the day was the order of Shammai. And the order of Shammai basically was, it's, it's a bit like, like Catholicism or Pentecostalism or Anglicanism, where you must go through all of these hoops and you must do this and must do that. And if you haven't done this, then you're probably not saved. Yeah. And if you don't do this, then you don't do that, then you're not truly saved. And so this kind of legalistic perversion of the scriptures was what Paul was talking about in his day. Uh, and so, you know, one minute Paul's saying the law is good and it's holy. And then another minute he's saying, you know, we're not under law, but we're under grace. And it's like, well, what on earth are you talking about, Paul? But he's talking about a legalistic perversion of it. And so one of the things that, that I've always been nervous about, if I'm honest with you, and one thing that I don't want to see ever happen is that I think God is giving us like a green light. It's like this stuff's OK, but you must be careful because we got people in this church who that isn't their thing. It's not their thing. And you've got people in this church who are passionate about it and it really is their thing, you know. And for me as a pastor, I can't I've got to I've got to walk a road where it's not about balance, it's about tension. The road of balance is, is relatively easy. It's just about making sure you're doing it right. But the road of tension is a difficult road to walk because you've got something that really wants to pull you that way and you've got something that really wants to pull you that way, but you've got to hold it together because we are in a new covenant and that we are have things on better, based on better promises. But nevertheless, you know, the, the Torah has much to teach us in shadows and types and actual practices that can be a blessing to us. So the law was never given to justify, it was always given to sanctify. Because Israel was saved, then brought to the law, and then they came into relationship with God. It's a bit like the woman caught in adultery. Jesus didn't come to her and said, oh, you adulterer, you naughty woman, you. All Christians would go out with their placards, you know, protesting against sinners. Okay, you know, this is what the law says. Actually, it's always the love of God leads us to the law of God that leads us into the sanctification that God wants for us. Okay, so I just wanted to start with that bit of preamble so you all know where I'm coming from. Are you all, you all good with that? Yeah. No, some of you are not? Okay, fine. All right, so... So what I'm going to be doing is, oh, one's walking out. <laughs> Just kidding, sorry. <laughs> so what I want to do is that I, I, as the spirit allows me, I will, I will move here and there. And I have to like go into certain talks and themes sometimes because of what I feel the spirit is trying to say for the signs of the times that we're in. But sometimes it's good to get back to good old basic doctrine. And I find a lot of teaching can be found actually in your Old Testament, which is more highlighted in the New. Now, when I went to Bible college, I started by studying Old Testament theology as my, as my primary foundation. And it was the best thing that I did because I always had a love for the Old Testament, but I assumed that if I could understand my old, then I would better understand the ramifications of the New Covenant as well, okay? And so in doing that, it opened me up and exposed me to a great love of the Old Testament. So 
I'm going to be as as the Holy Spirit will allow me. I will I will go into like today. We're going to go into Deuteronomy chapter 20 and verse one, and we're just going to spend some time in that for the next several weeks as God allows. Now, understanding how Jews and rabbis interpret the scriptures, they often do something which we Gentiles don't do. One of the things that they do is that they will take a passage. When you go out to battle against your enemies and see horses and chariots and people more numerous than you, do not be afraid of them for the Lord your God is with you who brought you up out of the land of Egypt. We're probably gonna spend the next six weeks going through that verse, all right? And you might be thinking, well, what are you gonna get out of that, Chris? Uh, it's like, I don't remember the last time I saw a load of horses, unless you're caught Keith and Sam and they see horses every day. But I don't think, you know. Um, so what, what, what would the Jewish people do with this? Well, what they do is they will, look, they will look at a text like this and then they'll break it down into key words. But then they'll take the word and then they'll break the word down into the letters of the word. All right, so they really take this to the nth degree. I don't quite go that far, but I will go to certain words that I believe that the Holy Spirit wants to point out. So two things I want to talk about today from this passage is mission and community, okay? And so let's look at this. I like the first three words, when you go. Let's say if you go, when you go, all right? So I love that. I remember like, like in Jesus and the Gospels, he doesn't say if you fast, he says when you fast. In other words, it's expected of us that, that fasting is an important spiritual discipline in our Christian lives, okay? It is not if or maybe, it's when. And so this is when you go out to battle, okay? But as I was meditating on this this week, it was when you go. And it's the word go, not if you go, but when you go. And you know, our faith is not a passive religion. We, we don't just like, I don't know, maybe some, of, some Christians do, but we live a life where we're energetic, where we're always moving towards the upward call of, of glory in Christ Jesus. We're always pressing on to a greater reward. So as Paul says, I pummel my body that I may obtain a better resurrection from the dead. Anyone want a good resurrection when they, when they rise to the dead? You can have your resurrection 101, you know, like, like the basic design. You know, when you go and get yourself a nice Kia, I don't know, it's coming to my head. Let's, let's go with a Kia. So, no, Skoda. Let's go for a Skoda. You get your nice Skoda. Oh, I want that one. But that's just the basic model. Well, how much is the one with all the lights and the dials and the digital stuff and the sound? Well, that's a lot more. It's like a resurrection. You can go for the Skoda basic entry model, okay? Or you can go for the Skoda top of the range model. I know what some of you are thinking. I'd rather go for a Porsche, I know. But, but here we go. We've got a, a choice of Skodas. Now, for me, when I get raised from the dead, I don't want a basic entry level Skoda. I want the best one you can get. And so I'm, I'm working in my own life to obtain a better resurrection. Anyone else here are trying to obtain a better resurrection? Yeah, you want, to, you want to wake up from the dead? You want to like, yes, look at all the rewards that Christ has given me. Because we live for today knowing that it echoes into eternity. Great quote there from uh, some film, but it's, a true, it's, it's, it's actually true. Now in Mark 16, 15, is there, have we got that scripture there? Okay, this is a, a go statement. And Jesus said, to, this is talking to his disciples, go, go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. And I thought, what a weird thing that it says creature. So I looked it up in the Greek and it says creation, okay? And I thought, that's, that, that's, that's kind of odd. I always thought that you preach the gospel to people because it's people that need to get saved. You, you, don't go up to, uh, you don't go up to a mountain and say, hey, rock, 
repent, believe, and be baptized, you know, and here's the gospel of Jesus, because you just, well, people think you're an idiot. Um, but there was a guy, what was his name? St. Francis of Assisi. He took this commandment literally, and he'd go out and he'd preach to the birds and preach to the, to the trees and stuff like that. People thought the guy was crazy, but, but, you know. But he took this verse literally. But the reality is, is it's a very interesting verse, because it says, go into all the world and preach the gospel. The problem is, is that we think preaching is telling everybody about Jesus. But actually the word preach means to proclaim, to announce, to declare, and to proclaim. Okay? So, speak, preach, speak, announce, declare, and proclaim the good news that Jesus is Lord, and that Jesus died and rose again to every creature in the earth. Now, what you probably didn't realise tonight, when we were praising and worshipping God, we were declaring the good news, the power of God to one another and to all the heavenlies. There's powers and principalities up there, not good powers and principalities. And tonight when we were worshipping him, we were declaring the power of our God and the gospel in our lives. So preaching the gospel doesn't mean you have to tell everybody about Jesus all the time, although it is a key component to that. But actually when you praise, when you worship, when you're out and about, just declare the goodness of God and you're telling your friends or whatever about the goodness of God, or you're declaring it in your prayer room, you are actually preaching the gospel to all creation. I can see you're not convinced. Um, so Romans 12, 14, this is another thing that we need to do, is it says, bless those who persecute you, bless and do not curse. Romans 8, sorry, Proverbs 18, 21, death and life are in the power of the tongue. Yeah, you've got life and death in the power of your tongue. Let's bless people, not curse them. You know, every time that I go shopping or something and I, you know, or get some petrol, I always say to the people, God bless you. I know it's very 1930s and twee, but to me, it's like, I mean what I say. No, God bless you. My ministry on the earth as a priest is to bless. And so I, as a priest of God, the most high, will go in into situations and I will bless people in the name of the Lord, because that's what I'm commanded to do. 1 Peter 3.10 says, whoever desires to love life and see good days. Anyone here want to love life and see some good days? This is what you need to do. Let him keep his tongue from evil and his lips from speaking deceit. Well, there we go. Hallelujah. So if you want to have a good life and not see too much evil in your life, then uh, that's what you need to do. Don't speak evil, speak good things and speak positive, life-affirming things. Speak the things of God, speak the word of God. And we're called to go. We're called to be a blessing. We're called to speak life to all of creation. You know, I, I don't know, you probably think crazy, well, you know I'm crazy. You're like, when we go for country walks and stuff, I see like these trees with that lovely blossom and I run my fingers through their blossom and I go, be blessed tree, be blessed. Right? Uh, yeah, you can laugh. Right? And, so, and I, I, I speak to them. We've got plants in the house. I speak to them. Yeah. yeah. Now, you might think this is crazy, but I know of a Japanese scientist, I don't know him personally, but I've read of his work, okay, where he basically got water and he, he spoke over certain bottles of water good things and he spoke over other bottles of water bad things and he froze them and the ones that he blessed had beautiful ice crystals, but the one he cursed had fractured crystals and really gnarly, horrible looking things. And if human beings are, what is it, 90 odd percent water, think what power our words have over people and their blood, because in the blood is the life, and you're speaking words into people that can 
cut, destroy, tear down, gossip, slander. But when we speak blessing and peace and life, it changes people on a physiological, spiritual, mental way. I don't know about you, but that's exciting, right? Okay, so the first thing that we need to get from this scripture back in Deuteronomy again, 20 verse 1, is that when you go, we actually, as believers, we have a mission. And our mission is to take the gospel, the blessing of God and that goodness of God to all peoples in acts of kindness, acts of service, love, telling people about Jesus, etc. Now let's look at the next part of the, of the verse. It says, when you go out to battle. Okay, anyone here done any spiritual warfare lately? Yeah? Okay, actually a lot of Christians, there's some Christians that know what they're doing. There's a lot of Christians that don't know what they're doing, but they don't realize they're even getting into warfare. So for example, if you were doing some praise and worship tonight, do you know what you were doing? You were doing warfare. Okay, obviously to you, you were praising God, you're loving on him, but you're actually doing warfare. We'll look at more of that next week. I'm going to break down spiritual warfare because there's good spiritual warfare and then there's nonsense spiritual warfare, which can be very dangerous kind of spiritual warfare. So, for example, binding and loosing powers and principalities in heavenly places is a very dangerous game to play. I don't see it in the scriptures. Um, and I would encourage people not to do that. The only people that I've ever known who have done that are people that are called to a really seriously high caliber intercessory ministry. And those kind of people are very rare. I've only met a few of them around all of the world. But generally our responsibility is not to deal with what's going up there. We are on the ground. And we're soldiers, we deal with ground attack. We let the Air Force deal with the Air Force, uh, all the air stuff, okay? So that's the angelic realm. Okay, so when you go out to battle, the thing that when I was meditating on this was the word out. When you go out, out from where? Any guesses, anybody? Where we're going out from? The the community of believers. Okay, because this is is the thing that, that kind of breaks my heart about today's Christianity, is if we see the Torah as a prototype because it says in Hebrews 10, 1, that it is a shadow of the things to come, not the realities themselves, because obviously Jesus is the fullness of the reality. And in 1 Corinthians 10, Paul says that basically what's written down in Numbers and Exodus was written for our warning, so we don't make the same mistakes that they made, otherwise we're going to get the same problems as that they got. Um, and I would like to go into a few examples, but I won't. But if that's true in the negative, then it must be true in the positive. And so if the Old Testament talks a lot about the community of believers, then that should tell us something about our own faith. So for example, does anyone here like the Book of Numbers? Book of Numbers, as I said earlier on today, it's a bit like a prog rock album. Starts a bit weird, then it gets to the good stuff, and then it goes out with some more weird stuff. But basically, the the first six or seven chapters is the numbering of Israel. That's where the term numbers comes from. And the way that it worked was you had the Ark of the Covenant. Let's use a little illustration here. Hello, this is my little tabernacle. Hello, tabernacle. So this is the tabernacle, right? This is a plan view. And uh, I'll get my maths right today. Okay, so up on the north, you had three tribes, not four, like I said earlier. Um, then on here, here, and here, you have three set, four sets of three tribes. Okay, so three tribes, three tribes, three tribes, three tribes. You're with me? But the life of the tribes 
was centered on the center part of their existence, which was the tabernacle, God, community, worship. So you have in the tabernacle, you have the Ark of the Covenant, which is the very presence of God. Okay, And then you have the uh, Kohanim, the priests, and they, that was the sons of Aaron. They did with all of like the, the sacrifice, etc. And then you have the Levim, which is the Levites, and they did with all the, uh, everything to do with the temple, not temple, the tabernacle by taking it down and, and erecting certain parts of it, etc. They weren't allowed to do any of the sacrifices, but they actually guarded it. And they also dealt with day-to-day -day service duties on behalf of the priests. So you have the Kohanim and you have the Levim, okay, the, the priests and the Levites. And the Levites guarded that tabernacle. So if you, if you came too close to it, you better run because they're going to come after you with a sword. Okay? You are not permitted to get too close to it unless it's time to come. And of course then you have the tribes. Three in the north, three in the east south west etc okay but the whole community was based around the tabernacle so and this is one of the things that kind of grieves me a little bit about today's christianity is that we don't really i'm not, not picking holes because i'm not talking to anyone here i'm just because this is obviously goes out all over the place uh, on the podcast and stuff but the notion of me myself i and god channel is all i need to be a good christian is actually not true at all because if Deuteronomy and the, and the Torah is our prototype for New Testament living then we're obviously not really reading this right because this everything according to the Torah is all about community based around life with the tabernacle at its very heart you can't get away from this that the, the heart of the community was God the heart of the community was the priesthood and the tabernacle and worshipping and community and prayer. These were the key components. And then we see a similar aspect of this in Acts chapter 2. If you could turn to Acts chapter 2 for me. Uh, Okay, yeah. So, and they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship in the breaking of bread and in prayers. Then fear came upon every soul and many wonders and signs were done through the apostles. Now all who believed were together and had all things in common. You got any more there? No. Yeah, it should do. There we go. And sold their possessions and goods and divided them among all as anyone had need. So continuing daily with one accord in the temple... Okay, because this is now the new emphasis, because the tabernacle's gone and replaced by the temple. And breaking bread from house to house, they ate their food with gladness and simplicity of heart, praising God and having favour with all the people. And the Lord added to the church daily those who were being saved. Now, there's five key elements here: is that they corporately gathered daily, or you know, to to the temple to receive instruction from the apostles so that they were getting test they were getting good bible teaching yeah from those guys and the second thing was that they had fellowship they broke bread and they prayed so prayer is a key component to that early community in jerusalem so they had fellowship with each other they broke bread together that means they did life together and god wants us and his church to be a community of people where our houses are open and we just hang out with each other and there's more life going on together. We're, I think we're all, I mean, I'm guilty of this as well. I'm, I'm kind of antisocial, I'll be honest with you. And, uh, you know, where 
where I really believe that God wants us to be a people that are just really in love with each other, friends with each other, hanging out with each other and doing community, doing life together, praying together, being there for each other, being real friends. And verse, and then the fourth thing, oh sorry, the third thing, they had all things in common. You know, there's power in community. When it's just a couple of you and, uh, you know, you can't, you can't do much. When there's a lot of you, you can do a lot. I remember once uh, someone, their, their car exploded on them. And uh, this was in the early days of Living Word. And, but there was enough of us where we could have a whip round and we bought them a new car. It was a second-hand car, but it was a new car as far as they were concerned. And it was a good car as well. You can do that in community. You can't do that by yourself or if there's only two or three of you. They also, they met at temple often and in one accord uh, and they did house church after temple, did life together with food. That was from verse 46. But you can see how temple is still the centre of their community. But then around the temple, they were in their houses. Like in the old covenant, they were, well, in, in the old, in, in Deuteronomy, they were situated around the tabernacle and they had their tribes in their, in their tents and they did life together, okay? It's exactly the same image. And fifth, a praising and worshipping community as well, in verse 47. You know, I, I get people sometimes that say to me about prayer and things, like, well, Chris, you know, you know, we do an awful lot of praying, but not much action. Okay, I, I do get that sometimes from people. And so I understand where they're coming from. But you see, see this building, okay? This is, we had it valued recently because we had two French shorts. It's worth 1.2 million, okay? Ka-ching. Ka-ching. yeah, but we can't sell it because it's got a, a covenant on it. We won't sell it anyway. But it's 1.2 million. This church what building wasn't just handed over to us. This church building came about because of the kindness of those Christians, but also a lot of prayer. Because I'll tell you what, you don't know how, how badly this place was contested. How I'm not, I shouldn't say it because it's not fair on them. But there were people that didn't want us to have this building and did everything they possibly could to stop us from getting it. It was a real battle. It was prayer that got us this building. You know, we, we've planted six churches over the last 10 years. One didn't survive and one we, we let go independent. So we've, technically five are still, still alive out of those six. But you see, these things come about through prayer. You know, and another thing is like, the, the, the issue of churches are really important. Why are, why are churches important? Now, again, you can get het up with the word, is it congregations or is it churches? We all know what it means. It means a group of people. All right, so, so basically, what, why, the, why the reason of planting churches? What's the, what's the deal with that? Because it's one of the most effective, if it's done well, ministry tools to minister light in the darkness. When we first planted Fairmore in this little uh, village hall called Cassfield Village Hall, and right next to us was this hostel, and this hostel had loads of really, really broken and poor people. So we just, their minute, we were, you know, it was like, they're our ministry. I mean, we're just going to go out and serve these guys. So every Sunday we used to go around there, we used to give them food and shopping and stuff. And we did, we did Christmas dinner for them. But what happened was then is that they, they let us into their homes. They used to phone us up, say, oh, we just had a big row with my wife or my wife's had a miscarriage. Can you come and pray for us? And we managed to lead quite a lot of those guys to the Lord. You know, a lot of them have now died, but they died saved. Amen. And so if when you're just like, well, let's let's just get together, let's just have a little handful of Christians. You're limited in what you can do. But when we come together, we're more powerful. We're stronger. We can make we can do things to the community that you wouldn't otherwise be able to do. We're light in a dark place. 
We really are. And when we're worshipping and when we're declaring the goodness of God, we are actually changing things in the heavenlies. Hallelujah. All right. And so if we say that God is first in our life, then by the very model given in the Torah, we have tabernacle, we have worship and prayer, and then we have community. This is, this is one of the things that come out really clearly, A, from the book of Acts, and B, when you study Exodus and Deuteronomy, it's really clear, and Numbers actually, it's really clear that the tabernacle is at the heart of everything. And this whole thing about Acts chapter 2, it, you know, everything is really important that it's all about community and it's all about being, having community with God. And it's important that as Christians, especially as parents, because when, when, we, when we go back to the book of Numbers, you had all these 12 tribes based around the actual tabernacle, but you have different forms of leadership. So over each of the tribes, you had tribal leaders. Then, of course, you had heads of the clans. Then you had a head of a household. And then, of course, in the centre of, of Tabernacle, you had the priestly system and you had the leadership structure within that. And so we have God the Father, who is head of Christ. Christ is the head of his church. Man, in the context of marriage, is the head of woman. And together, man and woman are the head of their children and are prophets, priests and kings to their children. And so we, we as ourselves, as priests and as leaders and heads of our own little clans and households, we need to be emulating to our children how it is to live a life of faith. That tabernacle is at the heart of what we do. That prayer, that worship is at the heart of who we are as a people because we are a royal priesthood. We are a peculiar people. We are a nation unto him, right? And then that then spreads out into our family. And so, you know, for me as a father, I'm first a pastor to my children. So, you know, most days we have Bible study in the mornings and, and I pray for them and I bless the Abrahamic blessing over them because that's really important that they grow up knowing that they're blessed, amen, and that they grow up to be all that God has for them and that they look at me and Tracy and they see what it looks like to be committed to God as best as we can. And they see that, you know, even when we're arguing and stuff, we're normally arguing about things like, well, how does this work and how does that not work and, and stuff to do with, with Christianity and faith. They see practical Christianity in its, in its highlights and in its underbelly, yeah, the good and the bad. And so as Christians, you know, we need to be a people where God is the centre of everything that we do. Everything we do. But we can't be a people where, where it's like God and me. There is nothing in the Torah that exemplifies that kind of existence. In fact, there's nothing in all of the scriptures apart from the odd few prophets like John the Baptist who were called to live in the wilderness and be excluded from all communities. But even John the Baptist had his own disciples and even all the people of Israel came out to hear his message. There is nothing in scripture that encourages Christians to be divorced from the body. It is not there. Jesus is passionate for his church, brothers and sisters. He loves his church so much. But we're all, we've got to stop being so divisive. We've got to love one another. We've got to be there for one another. 
Oh, well, you don't believe what I believe. So what? I don't believe of half of what you believe and you don't believe half of what I believe. But we're still called to love each other. We're still called to be with each other. I remember reading this joke once and it was, it was quite a poignant joke and it went on for ages and ages and ages and ages. It was about how, this, how there's these two people that met on San Francisco Bridge, right? And, uh, and they were going through like, oh, uh, yes, I'm a Christian. Oh, I'm a Christian too. Yeah, but what kind of Christian are you? Well, I'm, I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm a Baptist, you know, I'm a hardcore Baptist of this order. The other person said, yeah, I'm, I'm one of those kind of Baptists as well. And, uh, and it was like, so what do you believe about this? And it worked out they believed on everything, almost to the last nth degree. And then there was one little thing about, so what do you think about women in leadership? I disagree. Pushed him off the bridge. And that's basically what we're like as Christians. It's like, well, if you don't believe what I believe, right down to the last nana slither of a micron, that I'm not going to hang around with you. That's not godly. That's satanic. It's demonic. Because God has called us to be a body. God has called us to be as iron sharpens iron. You know what happens when you get two bits of iron together? They make sparks. Sparks. What do sparks create? Fire. Fire. Okay. <laughs> In other words, we're going to have some fun. It's going to get heated. It's going to get contested. We might not always agree. We might rub each other up the wrong way. Well, I'm not going to that church anymore because I disagree with them because they wound me up the other day. That's good because that's where God wants you to be. He wants you to be wound up. That's why God got you married. So you could get wound up. So you learn, so that you learn to change. So that, so, it, so that you think, oh, I'm, I'm Mr. Right or I'm Mrs. Right. But when you get married, you realize just how ugly you really are. You know, you do. It's like, oh, you know, you think if you were living on your own, you'd think you were awesome in the Lord, wouldn't you? Oh, it's just me and you, Jesus. Day. Hallelujah. I've got this holiness nailed. I've nailed it. Glory be to God. Hallelujah. Of course. But then if you're married, then you soon realize you haven't got it nailed and you spend the rest of your life trying to get it nailed. Amen. Hallelujah. Glory be to God. You've got it now, have you? OK. Good luck with that. Lord, just pray you bless Zach. Lord, just thank you for his humility. And uh, yeah, just pray you bless him. But as, as we're going to move forward over the next few weeks, we're going to start looking at models and shadows and types in the Torah, which are important for us as Christians. But if we're going to be Christians that take all of Scripture to heart, then we need to be a people that are integral to what the Bible says. You know, as a church, we have people that leave here because they... <laughs> because it's not got enough light teaching. It's, it's a lot of meat, they say, when they come here and they can't cope with it. And I understand that and I, I, I get it. But if we're to be a people, a body that really love God, just absolutely love. Can I just share, before I close, I'll just share a vision with you that, that I believe that God's put in my heart one day for, for, not necessarily for us as a church, but certainly for something that I feel God wants to birth, that I believe that I'll see, is to see Christians living in community, where, you see, when I was in Israel recently, I, had, I spoke to this Jewish guy and he said to me, you wouldn't think he was Jewish because he spoke with such a great London accent. And he said, the reason why we came out here, he said, is because of the little things. He said, in Britain, it's very hard to have a Jewish culture. You have to really work at it to make it work. But in Israel, the culture is just there. You go to school, you learn about God. You go here and then and you get your like, you know, you get your first prayer book, Jewish prayer book and stuff. And he said it's all a part of their culture. But here in Britain, it's not there. And it, it hit me as well. It's like we don't have a Christian culture. And even as Christians, we don't have really a culture. We find it so hard 
to walk in any kind of consistency because we have a world that is completely divorced from Christianity. If I took you back even 100 years ago, Christianity would be, still be a major part of the culture of this country and it would be easier to be a Christian then than it is now. And I believe, what I believe God's put in my heart is one day to see communities of Christians where Christians are living together, okay, not necessarily all in the same house, but certainly living in close proximity to each other, so that they can develop their own community, their own culture and their own customs so they can live out their Christian faith with joy, with purpose and, and apply the things that are in here to our lives in a way that it's easy because we have made the culture so it works for us rather than us trying to bend to fit the world's culture. Sorry? You can have electricity. You can have electricity, but not say we have to go Amish. <laughs> Why is it when I say communities like Amish? Does that mean I'm not allowed to wear makeup anymore either? No, you can't. <laughs> yes, that'll be right. But that's, that's what I believe is the heart. And one of the things that I want to see, and I do believe that God's going to birth it one day, and I, I think I'm going to be part of this as well, is to have prayer communities across this nation where you've got people living in community, where people have got a real heart for the law of God and for the New Testament, and that they're actually living out their lives according to the customs of Scripture. And that is their life. And they love God and they're devoted to God and they're devoted to prayer and devoted to worship, working the land and devoted to being there for one another and devoted to building this culture, which their children that they're bringing up in that culture as well, until one day their children's children, that's all the world that they've ever known, is this beautiful biblical culture and re being rebirthed and re-established in our land. Amen. Amen. Lord Jesus, I thank you for tonight, Lord God. Lord, I know it's only a simple message, but Lord, I pray that you will really instill in us, Lord God, a heart for your word, a love for your law, Lord Jesus, and to be a people that more and more want to live, Lord, by the, the, te the things that it promotes and teaches to us, Lord Jesus, and those spiritual truths that it highlights for us as the modern day church, Lord God. Father, please help us to do this, to do it with grace and to do it with Holy Ghost wisdom. And we do these things not for our glory, but for your glory. Because, Lord, we want to be a people that have laid down our lives for you and want to live according to your ways and your cultures, Lord God, because your way is the best way. And you are the way, the truth, and the life. In Jesus' name, amen. amen.